whoever you are, do a face mask. Hello, Madeline. Hi, Anu. Welcome back to another episode. If you're just joining us, my name is Anu Kumar. And I'm Madeline MacArthur. And this is Bridging the Synapse, a podcast about everyday topics and situations through a neuroscience lens. Join us as we bridge the synapse. Hey everyone, this episode is a little delayed this week due to some unforeseen sickness with yours truly. Madeline, however, being the awesome person that she is, was able to get a wonderful interview with Dana Leo, who is currently a PhD candidate in biochemistry and cellular molecular biology here at the University of Tennessee. Thank you all for the continued support and enjoy this week's episode. All right, so welcome, Dana, to Bridging the Synapse. Um, So tell us a little bit about yourself and who you are. So I am a um, third-year grad student in the BCMB program here at UT. And uh, before I came here, I went to Roanoke College, and I was also a biochemistry major there. So here I am. And we know you through Dr. Krishnan's lab. Um, So what do you all study in the lab? So we study experience-dependent plasticity um, within the brain, which is basically how through all of adulthood you learn new things and you form new memories, but kind of how those the synapses form between two different neurons and why some are kept and some are not. Um, and we also study this in a context of Rett syndrome, which is a neurological disorder that affects primarily females mm-hmm. and does have a genetic basis um, for the cause of it, which is why it's a little bit one of the easier things to study uh, in relation to the brain. Yep. Super cool research. I um, highly recommend. Um, we'll link Dr. Krishnan's uh, research and whatnot in uh, like our social media. Look up, look it up. It's super cool. Um, but today we're not talking about Rett syndrome as much. We're talking <laughs> about heartbreak. Yes. So, Dana, what is heartbreak? It's very much like a withdrawal from drugs. Yeah. Because it's the same sort of receptors that are being altered and your brain gets used to one level of something. And now that that level of dopamine, let's say, is significantly lower, right? then you're not going to have that anymore and your body needs to recalibrate. And sometimes that can have withdrawal symptoms very similar to drug addictions and things like that. Amazing. It really comes down to neurotransmitters in the brain and reward systems as well and reinforcement of those reward systems from getting love from one person to another. And when that is disrupted by behavior such as a breakup, then you have to, your brain has to relearn how to not need that enforcement. Your body gets so used to that kind of high from being loved that when it goes away, there's a withdrawal period. Yeah. Whatever dopamine release or different opioid receptors need mm-hmm. to be changed because, uh, and that's kind of what that heartbreak feels like when you're just sad. Right. It's, it's not a physical drug, but it's something that you just become so accustomed to. And it's just, mm-hmm. it's not something you're intaking physically but just emotionally mentally yeah but it can still have the same effects that's why it's still an external stimuli exactly that's changing your brain which is how what a lot of things happen when it comes down to it exactly it's, when you google it it's a lot of things come up with like like i mean uh who wrote this song love is a uh your love is my drug i think that was kesha yes <laughs> yes it's true um but things like that and that a lot of that comes up with love addiction and you know it there are multiple other kinds of addictions that aren't mm-hmm. substance, like gambling addictions and things right. like that, which all kind of are in the same reward centers of the brain. That's is, Yeah, that's an interesting association to make. Yeah. I didn't think about that. 
it's a weird it's a weird parallel because as you don't really you want to think like oh it's just love but at the end mm. of the day there are these different parts of it that and there are reasons why it's painful exactly and it's not cool but it's very very interesting yes a better word to yes. use <laughs> um. so um i kind of want to know like we we started talking about how um heartbreak is can mimic like symptoms of drug use um but how does it differ in like a personal context of like heartbreak versus looking at it from a scientific perspective so i think that goes a little bit more into you know personal experience but like mm-hmm. So from the scientific view and how I like to view things is very analytical is, and there have been some studies on this that were really cool MRI studies that I can give to you later, but they yeah. went from physical pain. So if you, I mean, going through heartbreak, some people feel it differently than others. Mm. And sometimes, especially when you go through them, when it's been a really long relationship or, or when someone dies, it really does hurt. Mm-hmm. And you feel like you're in physical pain, and sometimes it can really take a toll on your body. But it, when they've looked at this one study, was looking at I think teenage girls that had just been through breakups with someone that they loved. Mm-hmm. That they tested those girls, um, and you know, just kind of the pain with just showing the face of the boyfriend, girlfriend, whoever, the significant significant other, and then they tested the same girls with instead of doing a face like the picture or whatever Mm -hmm. they did um pain stimuli like actually like putting like hot not like burning hot but like uncomfortably warm Mm -hmm. like rod on their hand type thing and these same exact centers in the brain lit up so when people say that they're a lot of people that i've noticed kind of in my years of being in sorority life and having lots of girlfriends is people are like oh it really really hurts and people are like oh get over it but it actually is it does yeah and we see that in the brain just because it's not a physical pain there it's your brain interpreting it as you're sad and that's a physical pain that can take the Mm -hmm. toll on your body just like normal pain can i feel like maybe this is just like a broader issue but just like stigmatization of like if you can't, if you there's nothing physically wrong with you that I can see, yeah. then there's nothing wrong. Which is, is uh, which can be related to so many yeah. different issues. That, that could jet us off into a whole different podcast okay. topic. But it, it still applies to, like, this issue of, like, heartbreak and, mm-hmm. like, believing someone when they're hurting. Yeah. Um, and some people, and when it comes to the personalization of it, like, what may be something that would hurt me for maybe two, three, four months may hurt someone else for mm-hmm. four years. But that's really just coming down to, like, how you deal with the situation. There are ways, like, if you look up on the internet, how to deal with a breakup. Yeah. There are so many different things of advice and all this stuff, but it does get personalized to everybody. Right. I have my ways that I would Mm -hmm. recommend to other people, but then other people would probably say, oh, like, this worked for me. Yeah. At the end of it, you have to kind of go through it to learn how to experience it, it, which Mm -hmm. isn't a fun thing for anybody. Yes. My mind always goes to uh, Sex in the City whenever they say... You have half the time of the relationship yep. <laughs> to get over it, and then like you're done. No yep. more, no more pity. It's and I'm two like, years convert to two months. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and like so that. I I understand that in a sense of like you have to like get past it at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like that they're still like we're gonna give you this time right. to go through the feels, work it out, and mm-hmm. then but you do have to move on from it. Right, and it's just I mean not to keep going back to the deduction thing, but that's mm-hmm. kind of what the literature keeps comparing it to is. 
when someone is addicted, the first thing is they're like, don't ignore the fact that you were addicted mm-hmm. to this. Right. You have to, you have to get through this. You're always going to be thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And even when you go through a breakup, you still might remember that person fondly at some point. Mm-hmm. But also, you have to remind yourself, like, okay, so this was great, but here's all of the destruction that that brought me. Yeah. And then weigh them again. Yes. And you're never. I mean, you could always miss it, but yeah. What do you, I mean, you know what's better for you at the end of the day. It just takes a little exactly. while to get through it and recognize something like that. But going uh, back to, I guess, the neuroscience of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, so what exactly is happening in the brain? I know you mentioned some MRI studies. Yeah. Um, so what exactly do you see? Like what parts of the brain are possibly more focused um, in a heartbreak or more active in a heartbreak, I should but, say? Um, one of the places that when we're looking at um, kind of more mammalian models of it, so less human and more looking at mice, uh, mm-hmm. one uh, model system that's used for, like, actually looking at, like, pairings is prairie voles, which is a fun fact I didn't know, because they are, they have monogamous pairing, oh, and then okay. they kind of mate yeah. for life type thing. Okay. And so people often study that, and they see that the nucleus accumbens kind of lights up and... Mm-hmm. Um, with dopaminergic activity, mm-hmm. which is also yeah. what happens in addiction. Right. And those that kinds makes of total things. sense. Yeah. yeah. So it's interesting. And they also use maternal stress a lot. Whereas, like, so if you're going to have a mouse that, or say, I think this specific one was a rat, and they separated it from its young, which mm-hmm. obviously that's a different type of love relationship and heartbreak yeah. of possibly a child dying or a child going missing. Right. Um, but they, the, the mom every single time would press a lever as many times as she could to get to her pups. And if she did that enough and couldn't get to it, she would really start to panic. And then they'd be able to see, um, they were using MRI for this as well. And obviously little tiny rats, but they would see that that part of the brain would start lighting up. And then as Mm -hmm. soon as she got through it, Mm -hmm. it would light up even brighter because that was the reward. She actually got to go see her pups again when she started getting kind of interacting with them. Really weird. And I, I just didn't, think I could, you could connect all of those studies. It was a very yeah. interesting review. That's wild. Um, and then they also said the somatosensory cortex lights up mm-hmm. a lot, which is kind of like touch, feel, and mm-hmm. where a lot of integration of information coming into the mm-hmm. brain right. comes from, um, which I thought was interesting since somatosensory is something that I like to focus on in our lab. Right, right. So it was kind of wow. a little point of interest for me. That's so interesting. Um, yeah, as soon as you said nucleus accumbens, I was like, doping, reward, <laughs> all the... Uh, all the classes I've taken in neuroscience, I was like, that's rewards. Wow. That's super interesting. Yeah. It was, I was surprised at how much research there kind of was on this and how many different um, behavioral paradigms they had to measure Mm -hmm. this with. Because, I mean, obviously with addiction studies, you have the mouse that wants the, or not addiction, but reward studies, you have the mouse that wants the sugar cube. So it's going to keep pressing on a lever to get the sugar cube Mm -hmm. because it knows it'll get the reward. Right. But with drug um, studies, it's a little bit harder because you have opioids doing weird Mm -hmm. things. Yeah. So I thought the behavioral paradigms they used that were really relevant to kind of rat getting to her young Mm -hmm. was really, really cool. That's super interesting. So um, just kind of transitioning from, um, you know, what's happening in the nucleus accumbens and with neurotransmitters, specifically dopamine, creating this, like, addiction series of events happening in your brain after this breakup happens um what are some ways to like cope with what's happening so if you want i mean from the social aspect go eat a lot of ice cream and scream a little bit and cry (laughs) but 
it's kind of you just have to retrain yourself almost to kind of get joy from something else. Mm -hmm. And I know that's what a lot of people say. I know when I've gone through um, breakups in the past, it's just being really close to your friends and, you know, leaning on them, but also doing good things for other people will act as a reward system. It's not going to be, you know, love, whatever, but it, it, you start training your brain. If you do good things for yourself, you're not just sad all the time. You're still getting a little bit of that dopamine reward thing. So you're just kind of retraining your brain to accept a little bit less mm-hmm. dopamine. And you know you're not going to have that stimulus, but you have the love from your family, from your friends. And mm-hmm. that's, I know, one thing that I've seen people do in relationships is alienate your friends. But yeah, you never know what's going to happen there. Exactly. So your friends are the ones that are going to be there for you at right. the end of the day. And that the love of a friend is almost better than a relationship because yeah. it's more consistent. Exactly. And you know you're going to have it. Well, hopefully you're going to have it for longer if you yeah. have really good friends. Yeah. I remember being in middle school and my sister told me, she was like, now, Madeline, boys, they're just going to be here for like a time, but your friends are going to be there forever and they'll be there like past, you mm-hmm. know, the other boys and all this other stuff, which I, I it still stuck with me. Um, so I agree. Yeah. Keeping, yeah. finding a different way to... Uh, activate that rewards um, system right. with friends. And one of the things, too, I mean, this may sound super cliche, but, like, people always say revenge body, whatever, that yeah. work out more. But yeah. working out does release a lot of endorphins, mm-hmm. just like being in a relationship does and being in love does. Yeah. So you're still, while you're not getting the love, you know, that triggering your endorphin release, but mm-hmm. if you're working out, you're getting the same sort of endorphin release. Right. So you're kind of replacing it with something else, and it's good for the rest of your body because yeah. uh, working out increases the plasticity in your brain Mm -hmm. so actually lets you do better at work better in school Mm -hmm. so you're helping your body out more than just you know i'm going to go work out and revenge body you're actually helping your brain get through exactly uh this kind of withdrawal period that you're having and it's something you can spend your time on so you're not spending your time like this time you would have spent with your significant other you're not spending the gym the time you spend you know planning on when you're going to work out when you're going to sleep Mm-hmm. that's mental energy you're spending on that rather than thinking about the person. Right, and getting into a really good rhythm with mm-hmm. that in yourself will help you end up kind of being not only, like, physically healthier person, mm-hmm. but a mentally healthier person where you're like, all right, if I get frustrated, I know what to do to make myself feel better mm-hmm. rather than relying on another human for yeah. that. Because at the end of the day, even if you're married in a fantastic relationship, you still can't always rely on another person yeah. for your happiness. Yes. Which, I mean, is just kind of what it comes down to in the end. Yeah. So what are some not great ways to cope with this heartbreak um, that you know of? (laughs) For a little while after you break up with someone, you know, like sometimes you want to like stalk them on Instagram and do all those things. But all you're doing is making yourself miss that person more and miss all of the happiness that you're getting from them. Mm -hmm. You're just making yourself sad. Right. It's, and some people can be friends after a breakup, but like in my experience and what I've seen, it takes a while, mm-hmm. especially if you're in love with that person. It takes a while for those feelings to transition, especially if it didn't end well and it's completely one-sided. Just do a social media cleanse. Yeah. And it's going to be really hard to do for the first little while. But mm-hmm. just, you know, give yourself a couple of months. And if they want to be friends immediately after, just ask them to respect your decision to just, right. you just, I need to regroup. I need to be happy with myself. Mm-hmm. If you're, especially if you're not at that moment, I know whenever I go through a breakup, I fully blame myself for the first little while just because I freak out. Right. But I think that's the most important thing that you can do is just social media cleanse and be like, okay, 
slowly reintroduce that person mm-hmm. back into your life right. in doses that you can deal with because if they are still that source of like oh my gosh he paid or he or she is paying attention to me and that mm-hmm. makes me so so happy then that's going to hurt more mm-hmm. once they move on right and social media is just terrible for just like fueling this idea that I don't know maybe it's your fault or that you blame yourself because like you're only get to see like good stuff that's happening to them you're only gonna see like you know oh you know like I'm having fun out with my buddies or I'm Mm -hmm. having like I don't know I'm doing fun things that don't involve you and I'm still Mm -hmm. happy with these things yep I'm moving on I'm doing Mm -hmm. all these great things and really they could be sad eating ice cream on their couch too but that's not what they're presenting to the world yeah they're not gonna like let the world know that Instagram is not reality no it's just reinforce that yes (laughs) but that's I mean and that, you just give yourself a break mm-hmm. from the person. Like, you're, be happier with yourself. Mm-hmm. And once you're happy with yourself, impart that onto, and then just kind of go from there. Mm-hmm. That's my greatest advice because yeah. I did not do that the first couple times I went through a breakup. We've, so we've talked about self-care on this podcast before. And this is definitely where it comes into play. It, don't worry about, like, what the person is going to think about. Like, you even if you have to block them like even if it was a it wasn't a bad thing if it just helps you block them all this stuff just Mm -hmm. to keep away from it i completely agree and it's if i mean even if you're the one to break up with the person and Mm -hmm. it just still makes you sad that's okay to still do still if it's going to help you heal Mm -hmm. focus on that and while people might call you selfish or whatever you have to help yourself before you can help anybody else right and whether it's to be you had to end things with your partner because they're in a really bad place and mm-hmm. that's making you in a bad place, it's not going to be great and you're going to feel sad, but you have to be able to help be healthy and love yourself and kind of have a grasp on your own things that are going on with you before mm-hmm. you can help somebody else because otherwise you're going to take that on too. Right. And if you take that on on top of something that you're going through, then you're going to go to the wayside and yours is only going to get harder. Right. And that makes coping with things significantly worse. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to have to do more work on that back end. Right. You need to fill that that lack of dopamine. um, Get those endorphins running. Yes, you need to get those endorphins (laughs) running. You need to upregulate that dopamine to meet the standard you're at. Because sometimes it's just what you need. Get some Talenti ice cream Mm -hmm. and do what you want. Very good. And you wanted to plug a Netflix special. Yes. So... um, as we were talking about addiction before and the um, comedian talks about her cocaine addiction and then how she has a very addictive personality. Mm-hmm. It's uh, Mae Martin and I think the comedy special is Comedians of the World and I think she's on the British version of it. Um, but it's all on Netflix. And she talks about how there's little shrimp in the back of your brain when you have an addictive personality. And it sits there and it's dormant until it sees something that it likes. Whether that be cocaine or for her, if it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend, mm-hmm. it just wakes up and all its little legs go, this is mine, and just grab onto it yeah. and then refuse to let go of it. Mm-hmm. And addictive personalities is something that is, um, I think, maladaptive to your life. And it's in every single part of it. And you can't stop thinking about it. And it starts to ruin different parts of your life. Right. And she goes, that's it for me. It can be literally anything. And just like walking out on stage here. And seeing all of you cheering at me, she goes, I need that. If you didn't cheer for me, I'd be extremely upset right now. Mm -hmm. So, like, those kinds of things. And she's very, very, very funny. 
but I would plug that just because you kind of see all of this right. kind of come into play just in her as a comedian. Right. And she also makes jokes about it, which makes it a little bit lighter of a subject. Yeah. And she definitely, like, would be an excellent person to speak to, like, how addictive, well, since she has an addi- addictive personality, how addictive, like, you know, drugs are versus, um, or compared to, um, people. People. Her yeah. obsession with Bette Midler is how she opens it. Okay. So those kinds of things. <laughs> well, yeah, I'll definitely check that out after this. Funny. I'm excited. Um, well, Dana, thank you so much for joining us. Um, thank you for having me. Bridging the Synapse is produced, edited, and written by us, Anu Kumar and Madeline MacArthur. Production assistance is provided by John Kennedy from The Daily Beacon. Music in this episode is from Pottington Bear. We release a new episode every other Wednesday. We also release one episode a month in conjunction with The Daily Beacon. You can contact us via our email, which is bridgingthesynapse at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at SynapseBridge and on Instagram at BridgingTheSynapse. For more information about this podcast and check out what sources we use for this episode, visit us on Anchor, our Medium page, or our Facebook page, which is Bridging the Synapse Podcast. We hope you've learned something new today, and we'll see you on the next episode. Quote RuPaul, if you can't love yourself, how are you going to love anyone else?